Welcome to That Tracks with Robert Sterrett Beery. Today we are joined with Carrie Kanya. Carrie, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. I'm impressed. Oh, I'm so happy because I would have been a little upset if it was Kanye. I got to say. <laughs> so I'm probably not the first person to ever say that. Anyway, um, Carrie is the person I've been talking about for quite some time. Um, she is. And what do you prefer to be called in terms of your ability? Do you want to be called a psychic? Do you want to be called a holistic psychic? What, what term can I use? I'm a psychic reader and energy healing practitioner. Okay. A psychic healer and energy psychic reader, reader, psychic reader practitioner. Psychic reader, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Energy Psychic healer reader. practitioner. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And uh, you are uh, set up in Arizona at this point, but years ago, you were in Ohio um, when Mark DeWidziak, who I've had on the show, and actually just because of my big hiatus I've had, was the last podcast I did about a year ago. Um, it was, I guess, uh, pitched a story to by his newspaper. Um, to go around town and, and look for the most haunted places around. And I guess this was in Akron, Ohio, mm -hmm. and maybe sites thereabout. Is that right? To your yes. Memory? Yeah. And that's where I'm originally from. I've lived okay. in Arizona for 20 years now, but I'm originally from Akron, Ohio. And um, I, of course, didn't know anything about the project until he got a hold of me one day. And I said, yeah, sure. Sounds fun. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there, there's so many layers to that story that Mark told, you know, one being, and I think he hadn't even begun his adjunct professorship at Kent state at that time. Um, but one being that Kent state had a, a department of paranormal psychology. And, and according to Mark, they didn't really, they weren't uh, marketing it any longer um, at that time, but just the fact that they had that, um, and, and then that your name came to the very top for the, the person who Mark was talking to at Kent state and says, I know exactly who you need. And of course, I think no, no one, uh, not no one, but everyone was, uh, super thrilled to have you there and go through, uh, Mark's little setup that he did and, uh, got some really great results. So th that I'm kind of like, uh, uh, baiting the story at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but. Carrie, tell me more about yourself. I think one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of times if I uh, hear about somebody that has your, and is it okay to call it your ability? Sure, um, yeah. Or do you want to call mm -hmm. it, a, do you, does anybody call it a gift? Does that you can, you can come through sometimes? An ability. Okay. Um, I call it an ability. I, I okay. believe we all have the ability to be intuitive. Some mm -hmm. people maybe have a natural propensity more than others, but it's a skill that we can all learn. Right. right, right. Good. So when did you first notice you had it and were there circumstances around it that you just came right out and said, man, I got this, or was it more like, man, I got this? Uh, was, what, what happened? Yeah, I'll give you the lowdown. So yeah. I've always been very intuitive, but when I was a little kid, like a toddler, uh, I thought everybody was like that. I didn't know it was like not so-called normal. 
I thought everyone was like this. This is a part of being alive. We all have the ability. When I was a kid, I, I called it seeing the truth of people. Like I wasn't like reading people's futures or fortunes. I was just reading the energy yeah. of the here and now. And to this day, I still believe that we all do have it. It's either we're more conscious of it and we can work with it more deliberately or we're not conscious of it, but we're constantly unconsciously reacting mm-hmm. to what we pick up from other people energetically. So I I feel like I was naturally born that way. At the same time, I did have a distinct decision-making day around this when I was about three and a half years old. And this uh, memory is also way down the road in my adult life, a part of what put me on my own healing journey. So long story short, I was about three and a half years old. It was late winter, early spring. I remember playing outside with my sister, who's a year and a half younger than me. And I remember it because it was the first day that she could say my name. And it was like also the first day where there was like some snow on the ground, but it was like starting to get warm, maybe around Easter time. And I don't know if I could hear my parents in the house arguing or if I just knew they were arguing, but my parents, I knew they were arguing. And my dad came outside and gathered up my sister and I and said, come on, let's go to your aunt's house. And when my dad said that, I literally had this whoosh. I don't know if I want to call it a vision or a deep, intense psychic knowing. What I can now call is a psychic knowing. I didn't have that terminology back then. But I had this knowing that came over me that said, if you get in that car with your dad, you're never going to go back to this house again. And so I immediately started telling my dad, I want to stay with my mom. Um, I don't want to go, blah, blah, blah. And he insisted that we go. So we go. And that ended up being the day that my parents started their divorce process. And we Mm -hmm. did end up staying at my aunt's house for probably about a year. Mm. And so on that day, when I realized that whatever that was, I can't explain what it was, but it was accurate. I made a conscious decision at three and a half years old that I don't know how I knew that, but it was right. And I'm never going to ignore it. Wow. Okay. And it went from there. Now Mm -hmm. at the same time, eventually, you know, my parents went through their thing. My dad, ironically, went to Kent State University. My parents were young when they had me, they got divorced, but eventually, you know, they worked out their things and, um, So we were dividing our time between my dad and my mom. And my mother was an artist and also an astrologer, I come to find out, which I didn't Mm. know when I was a kid. Mm. But by the time I was about nine years old, my mother started teaching me astrology. Now, she never pushed me to go in any particular direction. It was just like a part of her life that I was curious about. And so she would, you know, oh, this is what this means. This is what this means. So there was a little bit of an encouragement around learning about what we could say, the less known aspects of life. And, you know, one thing led to another. And by the time I was 18 years old, I started doing readings for people. And by the time I met um, Mark, 
I was, I think, 28 or 29. So I had been a professional psychic for maybe 10 or 11 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I'm 55 and have been doing it for like 37 years. Right, right. Okay. So So you definitely embraced it um, from a very early age. mm -hmm. And, you know, it would be remarkable in and of itself, I think, for someone at that age just to be so determined about something and so aware about something. Um, and, and I, I like to sometimes just whine to people that I remember. And I've, I've got uh, sort of a good memory of things that happened to me when I was quite young. Uh, I do have some stuff right there around three years old that mm-hmm. I can sort of remember. Um, and, and none of them necessarily traumatic, uh, but I always wonder sometimes if, if it isn't a traumatic event that sort of locks in that memory uh, for us, uh, to a certain extent. And especially, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with my thing. It was, you know, a a little bit of a shock to my system. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I remembered it. Yeah. In fact, after that, it's not like I accepted like, Oh, I have this ability. I thought something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so my earliest research is whatever I could do in like the middle school library. Mm -hmm. It was me trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Right, right. And then realizing then along the way, no, this is a thing. It's called this and some people have it and blah, blah, blah. But even back then, that was, you know, uh, I was born in 68. So that was probably the mid 70s. It wasn't as more commonplace as it is now. So it wasn't easy for me. And so I think I kind of grasped on to my mom teaching me about astrology because it was something that might lead me to figuring out what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I remember talking about the, the dates. Um, I was born in 66. So, mm-hmm. you know, the what I would remember was Johnny Carson and the amazing Kreskin. Um, you know, coming on and then he would uh, do his his deal. And then next thing you knew, there were news reports even before I saw I remember seeing movies because I was still just so young. But I do remember news reports where we tried to where they showed people trying to have telekinetic power and, you know, right. uh, bent just hovering over a spoon and bending it, you know, or something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it seemed like there was um, uh, either a national um, or a regional emphasis on these types of things that were, that was brewing in the early seventies mm-hmm. um, and, and probably born out of the sixties with experimenting and whatever else that people did. But mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you. I mean, now it's, it's certainly more widely accepted and you'd almost think that it would be easier to have a parapsychology uh, department now. However, did you were, were you much of a fan of the TV show Lost by any chance? I and if you weren't, ever, that's okay. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that show. Okay, so they, they had um, a lot of these uh, abilities and things that people would have on the show. And, but it was people who were shipwrecked from a plane crash. And there was this initiative there that took its name from an actual initiative that we have in the United States. They called them, and this actual initiative is called DARPA. 
And what it was is what NASA grew out of. And DARPA decided they would research any and all things that were paranormal in addition to anything that had to do with space flight and whatever else. And when we finally got the space program off the ground, DARPA kind of went their way, NASA went their way. Now, there are still annual competitions, as far as I know, the last time I looked, where DARPA will bring in people who have developed some type of new technology that is on the fringe of science. Uh, so that's it still exists even within that's the country. Cool. It it never gets talked about that much. But, you know, that's in, in my mind, that's a place where I'm going to try to go eventually in another interview and see if I can get somebody from there. I mean, it's it's not clandestine, you know, or anything mm-hmm. there. It mm-hmm. is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, so that really surprised me how much that TV show borrowed from that mm-hmm. um, and, and really was kind of representing what that that group did initially. But all that said, um, I. I'm glad you inter- you uh, discussed, you know, what it was like for you and, and this feeling that, um, you know, this this is at first it's kind of like everybody has this. And then eventually you're like, well, wait a minute, not everybody has this. And why am I so different? Yeah. And, and, and that type of thing. And um, and and I will say. I've got multiple degrees and this is not bragging. This is my wish. I had one degree and I just went on with it. But um <laughs> I, I taught English for a little bit, um, and while I was teaching English, I was uh, a coach for tennis and track and field and really loved all the exercise science that I could learn as a coach. Eventually, I got my master's, and it's in physical education, so it's it's much more science-based. The combination, though, is useful, I think, for us to a certain extent because one aspect of it is fitness, exercise physiology. I use that in my daily job working in neuro rehab as a technician. Um, but the other side was wellness. Mm. And within that that framework, um, there were things that our professors showed us. Um, nothing was paranormal per se, but it was just the extent to what the human body can do um, when it's actually being tested. Um, and, and sort of, uh, I don't know what you want to say, guide its path. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things simply was, can you increase your skin temperature? Um, and that's a very typical one that they do. We did an experiment where they measured our skin temperature and they taught us how to do this sort of focused um, meditation. And, you know, I, I was able to get my hands blazing hot. Cool. And, and I thought, well, this is something. And later when I was doing um, learning a little bit about sports massage, uh, I was finding and then later again, later down the road with my wife that my hands would get really warm. Mm-hmm. And that was something she would pick up on. So there there are measurable ways of, I think, um, doing things that some people would say, come on, that, that that isn't happening. You can't increase your skin temperature. But the physiology was there. I mean, the science was there. This is a long way around me saying I've always ex- uh, considered myself to be more of a scientist, but but a scientist who is a skeptic like Mark. Um, who I, I'm not a disbeliever. Um, I've always been sort of open to things happening. Mark and I talk about the fact that I'm more of an agnostic and a preacher's kid to boot. Mm. Um, but I, I don't deny that it's not possible for right. some of these things to happen. But, you know, I'm much more, I want some hard evidence to do it until, and this is where I'm finally getting to a question, I promise. <laughs> or, or, or I could just talk all about me the whole time. Um, 
<laughs> the what I wondered about, because this is the journey I'm now on, is what does it take for somebody who's a scientist slash skeptic like myself to then all of a sudden say, you know what? I think ghosts are real. Mm-hmm. I think I think this extrasensory perception, whatever you want to call it, that we have mm-hmm. is real. And in my particular case, it was Mark's story about you. Mm-hmm. Um, I I trust Mark implicitly. I I would uh, you know is it's we've talked and text and and done things that we do for this little uh, other podcast I have called Shack's Loop. I don't know if you remember way back uh, Shack the Night Stalker TV show that was on and. Um, it, it's a, it's a big thing that Mark has written books about. He interviewed all okay. the cast and oh, cool. anyway, so we became friends because of that. And then he's been on a number of my different podcasts, blah, blah, blah. And, and it, there's a, even though Mark is a fiction writer, um, he typically writes about fiction, um, and has written some fiction. He gets to the essence of the art of fiction, which is the truth mm-hmm. of whatever's happening. And that's why I think everybody likes him and what he says. So I trust the guy. I don't know what else I could say other than I can't see him manipulating results of what he did with you to just get his story off. No, and, he would never you know, do that. Yeah, no. And and he still to this day, he doesn't say that he believes it's possible. I can't get him to admit that. What he does say, though, is that I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anything. I didn't smell anything. Um, but, you know, this is what everybody said, and it's it's hard not to investigate it further. So mm-hmm. there's a long way around asking, what does it take for people to ever come to you and say, I believe now? And or does, does that even happen? Are they already in the game and they believe before they come to you? Um, no, not necessarily. And I, I feel like um, from my perspective, when I am with my clients or whatever, I've been doing this so long, like, I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, um, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're established in it. It's, it's mm-hmm. why waste your time mm-hmm. having to play these games? Which, you know, thank goodness, I don't think it was a waste of your time, but you did what you did years ago with Mark yeah. um, because because it still has a lasting impact. People want to hear that story anywhere he goes. And let they me tell, say tell you, the ghost story. Go ahead. Yeah, let me say a few things about that because I listened to the podcast interview that you did with him that you sent me the link. Yeah. And it was really f- fun for me to like hear that, all that again. And uh one thing that I'll say about it is he was so like some of the things that he was telling you, I never knew. I never knew that, that I found the gondola and that I was instantly saying what one of the theories, he didn't tell me Mm -hmm. any of that after the fact, like at the time he wasn't like, yeah, you felt like, it was like flatline the whole time. Like he was just observing and mentally recording whatever was going on, but he was not giving me any feedback in the moment of anything at all. Awesome. I was just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about any of how, what he was even going to write until I read it in the paper. Right, right. He did not ask me, is there any way you want me to write this? Nothing. 
it was, he gave me zero indicator of if I was on track, if I was off track on any of those circumstances. Right. He did. So did you, did you find yourself hoping he would give you a little feedback as you were doing it? Or it was more like, this is well, just the for, way he's going to go honestly, and I'm good. Like sometimes I rather not know anything because mm-hmm. then I could just be in my pure sensing feeling intuition right. and not be second guessing with my mind. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. I love it because mm-hmm. th- there's where I think Mark, although he claims, you know, it was not a scientifically controlled experiment. Uh, it was pretty tight for a journalist you know, to do what he did and, and, and use the protocols that he did. And again, that just, that reinforces it more to me. Yeah. Like even like, let's say when we left the Goodyear blimp place and we're going to the next place, he didn't say anything like, Oh, you did great. Mm -hmm. You did this, you did this, this, (laughs) that, nothing. It's just like, let's just go to the next place and the next place. So it was cool for me to hear like, wow, I, I really, I remember going to that, but I had no idea that, Mm -hmm what there was any validity to like, I mean, I thought it was valid in the way that I was accurately describing what I was sensing, but there was right. not one person that gave me any feedback on that. Yeah. 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 He, he didn't say that about himself, but I, I see that um, him, him behaving that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds like at one point when I reread the article um, that the people who were with you, wanted to just like, you know, come out and say, okay, this is amazing. You've just, you know, nailed the, nobody this did is. It. Yeah. Right, right. They all just, <laughs> they kind of held it back and they looked at him and like, can I say it yet? And he's like, no. Right. So that, that is so cool. Um, yeah. So I would say, let me say this with your question about how does somebody become a believer? Yeah. Maybe I'm going to use the, um, analogy or the example of I actually teach uh intuitive development courses I wondered if you did that I do and so we'll not start in the realm of is there ghosts but when it comes to being able to read energy being able to have intuition how do we become a believer of that and you will I think appreciate this as a person who has a background in physiology and wellness and exercise and things like that. So I'm also a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've had to learn a lot about physiology and things like that because of being a yoga teacher. And so you've probably heard, let's use the example of you've heard of chakras probably, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Well, what most people don't realize is that the chakra system is connected to the nervous system and the psychic system of the body starts in the nervous system. And we have, um, and today it is scientifically proven. It was not always scientifically proven, but in the very rudimental or fundamental things, we, it is scientifically proven that we have proprioceptive receptor cells in our peripheral nervous system that detect subtle energy that we do not consciously register, but react on. Uh, I would believe that a hundred percent, just even not, not even within the realm that we're talking about, because everything that we do is about proprioception with our patients who are paralyzed. Mm. So it's, it's all neurological and we're, we retrain that through, the fact that the nervous system is, is what we call neuroplastic. And it just simply means it can change and it can regrow itself and reheal itself. Right. So right. I love that that's a, an aspect of where you guys come from. 
Right. And so it's like, even with the, we can say the intuitive senses or the psychic senses, this is connected to this in the way of the nervous system and the physical senses. The way I describe it, and, and this is true, for every intuitive or psychic sense we have, uh, we have a physical sense that matches it. And our intuitive senses or our psychic senses are just the subtle energy extension of our physical senses. We have physical seeing and we have uh, the subtle energy extension of that is clairvoyance, psychic seeing. Mm -hmm. We have physical hearing. We have psychic hearing. We have our physical sense of touch. We have our ability to sense and feel things intuitively. You can, it's even possible to sense and smell things psychically, which does common ha commonly happen with um, phenomena that is connected to um, spirits passed on loved ones. Mm -hmm. Right. We've all heard stories about like, oh, grandma passed on 10 years ago and all of a sudden I smell her perfume. Mm -hmm. Things sure. like that. Sure. So there is a, a more grounded um, science to how it is that we can be intuitive or psychic than there used to be. And that's just with the advancement of how we can measure subtle energy now. Right. Right. I mean, I guess I would say that and not to, um, gosh, try to treat someone who's blind or legally blind or whatever it is as a, you know, an oddity and a test subject. But, you know, there we always talk about how other senses become more heightened mm -hmm. uh, when you drop a sense. And, and, you know, in martial arts, then there'll still be these times when they blindfold somebody and and they still are trying to try to ward off attackers or whatever that is. And I've never, you know, gone into martial arts like that. I have done some Tai Chi and had some fun experiences uh, with that. But, um, you know, I, I will say that there are times when I feel like I play a lot of sports and there's maybe something that's going to come past my head. I, right. I don't see it coming at me. Um, I don't really hear it mm -hmm. as far as I know, but. It, it's, it's, there's all of a sudden something that makes me just duck out of the way. Yeah. Um, you the last I just second. Feel whatever it is that it's, it's coming at me. And so I'm just going to duck out of the way. Yeah. And so that's like a last second reaction that you have to something that's physically that your nervous system is responding to and you're unconsciously responding to it. So the psychic senses are just like that. It's just even more subtle. And here's a sure. really thing with the example that you used uh, for people who um, are vision impaired or blind. Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. time I actually, and this is in Akron, Ohio, I got asked to do a two hour psychic development workshop at a blind school. Perfect. And Perfect. I did yeah. it. And so, and I asked the people, I was like, when we were talking about clairvoyance, I'm like, are are you able to see things in your mind's eye still being visually impaired? And even people who were born blind right. felt that they could still see colors in their mind's eye. Mm -hmm. They still had their inner vision. And when we're doing like clairvoyance, it's your inner vision. It's not about your eyes. Right. Right. So... I love all this stuff. And even though I've been a psychic reader my whole life, um, I am also very like practical and grounded. And 
I wouldn't say I'm skeptical, but I don't just blindly believe things. I like to put things to the test myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, like, you know, right. Right. Like- <laughs> that, that, that was one of the things I was wondering is you have to come across other people who claim to have the ability. Um, and, and then I, I'm wondering sometimes if you get a sense about these people that they don't really have it uh, when they're claiming or, you know, more, more positively, let's just be more positive about it, that you get the sense they do have it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I would imagine those types of things happen. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like, okay. I live in Sedona, Arizona, right. The Mecca of land of where people come for spiritual seeking. So there's, there are, and I've lived here for 20 years. And there's a lot of people who come in and out of here who, you know, suddenly they live in Sedona and they are going to become a psychic reader, even though they've never done it before in their whole life. You know, meanwhile, I was already a professional psychic for probably at least 15 years before I ever even moved here. Mm -hmm. So I've seen both. I've seen people who, you know, they think they're going to get on that bandwagon and it, it just... I, I'm not judgmental about it, but I can observe it. I can witness it and just know that it's going to play itself out in whatever way it does for them. And then I also can tell when people are genuinely insightful and perceptive. It's an energy about people and an air about people that you can feel um, when they have that or that I can notice when they have that. Mm-hmm. So, so many questions. <laughs> I know, right? This is, this, this is just, yeah, this is awesome. Um, I, I want to redirect back to the, the, one of the last things that Mark tells about to me, which is that being in the library and mm-hmm. the, uh, all the serious librarians that were there. And I told Mark, you know, I grew up with a librarian. I, I know that mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and honestly, that's probably where I get my sort of like hardcore feeling about science, you know, just the, um, uh, whether it's the Dewey decimal system or what, I don't know. <laughs> something, <laughs> so, something solidified it. Cause my dad was less than scientific at all. Mm. Um, but you know, the, the story that Mark tells, and I won't go through the whole thing, but you know, there are, there are books that have been set out. Well, it, it seems like there were books were already set out. Mark asked about it. And then the librarians go get them. And set them down on a bench or something like that is the way that he says it. Um, and then you take a look at them and 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 then say they they seem to be important to um, just you. Um, mm-hmm. Cutting to the chase uh, for for what you had said. Do you yeah. how much of that do you remember now going back through? <clears throat> well, I listened to the podcast of him and I did not remember the book part until I heard it. And then I was like, Oh yeah. So the reason I didn't remember that, because that was one of the last places we went to that day. And by then I was freaking exhausted, man. We've been to like 10 places and we're at this library and who cares about these little stupid scissors? Like (laughs) that's how I was on my end. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> give me give me a ghost like doing doing a tap dance in front of me yeah yeah that'll energize me so what had happened <laughs> is um the librarians i guess which i didn't know this part even during that but after the fact when i read it in the paper i guess is when i knew 
that there was, you know, some of the ghosts there, the spirits there would um, throw books. Like there were like the librarian would like straighten up a room and then she'd come back and there'd be books on the floor or something. So those right. books that Mark was referring to were books that that had happened to like um, earlier that day or the day before yeah. we arrived. So yep. that's yep. why they were set aside and out. And so when I did my thing and I heard Mark recounting it, I totally remembered it. But I don't remember him saying anything in front of me about the um, cassette that was in his pocket. What? Really? Oh, my gosh. He did not say he's, that. He's really hardcore with me. you. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know that part. I was like, oh, wow, cool. I did better than I thought. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, well, then I felt when we went to the library that that was one of the most least active places that we went to so i was kind of right. writing it off right like, this one's not really that haunted or whatever like i'm getting these little things but it's like not really significant stuff but i didn't hear mark saying about the cassette tape oh, interesting yeah yeah because to me that that's that's the meat and potatoes right there of mm-hmm. the whole story and even the way he frames it is, well, I'm telling you this story so I can tell you the next story. And I right. told you that story so I can tell you the next story. So he might And you know, it really builds. Yeah, he might have pulled the cassette out for the librarians. Like if I was in another room or maybe I went outside, mm-hmm. no idea. But I have zero recollection of that part right. of him like, oh, well, this is why. I was just like, somehow this is connected to you, but I don't know how. Right, right. And then you and were then just I, off on. I'm like, I'm thing. going outside, like, you know, <laughs> or something. <laughs> I'm done with you people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, that, and I won't go into, if you listen to the whole thing, you might've heard the story, or if you just listened to Mark, you didn't. But, um, you know, that is, you know, uh, and so how long ago was this? So it was nearly 30 years ago? Yeah, it was in 97. And then we did it again one year. We might have done it for three years, at least two years in a row. Right. We we did that two years in a row. The third year, there was a smaller, different thing that I did. Mm -hmm. And that was with the other author that I sent you. Yeah. He wrote a book and included the investigation that I did at his house. He also worked for the Akron Beacon Journal at that time, but it was not connected to um, what Mark was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I just lost my train of thought because it's so. Oh, so anyway, so I had a a thirty year wait. Um, also, and it was, and I was just telling Mark that I've never really experienced anything or seen anything or been around anything like he described. Um, however. Uh, there was a time that I was, um, having a massage on my shoulders and on my scalp. And at the end of it, the, the person I felt like was tapping on my scalp, three little spots. And then I felt, if you want to talk about chakras, I definitely felt like a pleasant nerve interaction. Um, I played football and know what a stinger is. That's a very unpleasant, um, nerve reaction that you get, but a pleasant one. That's uh, what I felt. And then I, I didn't, you know, I never talked to the person about it again. Well, I'm friends with them. And just about a year ago or two years ago, uh, we were talking. I mentioned that thing again. And she stopped me right there and said, well, I didn't touch your head. 
And I'm like, that's, that's, I know what, what that is. It's a technique I do. I eventually do more like a Reiki on top of somebody. And what you probably felt was me disconnecting from you. Mm, And, and that just blew my mind. So, you know, it's, it is, if you talk about, again, that, that extra uh, through the uh, proprioceptors and the feeling that we have of mm-hmm. someone hovering over the top of that gives that a little bit of validity to me yes, uh, for, for certain. But that was a long time before I ever thought that, but I I've told this story multiple times because cool. uh, I just thought it was so cool. I thought that just the tapping was, you know, again, it was like a Mr. Spock moment or something like mm-hmm. that, that, that she was doing. So that was really cool. Um, I have uh, people like, cause I do Reiki as a part of like my energy healing practice. And I have people like, Oh, your hands felt so good. I'm like, I wasn't even touching you. Like my hands were like a foot off your body. I was just radiating energy. Right. Right. <laughs> Man, I, I wish there, I wish there was a way to study that. And then, you know, I'm just such a, a lab rat in the way I, I like to do things, but it's, it's not that important. It doesn't have to be said to the whole world and shown in, in in Western type research. And I, I know, but mm-hmm. it still is where, where my mind goes so much. Uh, and then mostly because I had the experience. Uh, I, a, I just think it's incredible. There's a cool way that you can experiment with this that I've done before. And maybe some of your listeners, if you have an opportunity, will do it. Have you ever heard of like, it used to be like old school Polaroid, but now there's like computer programs that um, can register through through reading the biorhythm signals from putting your hand on a plate. Um, mm-hmm. It converts the frequency of that, however it does, and turns it into a view of your aura and your chakras on a computer screen. It's what's oh. called aura photography. Okay. So um, I've worked in metaphysical stores around here that have had that aura photography. So I've done a lot of experiments where I'll uh, put my hand on this metal plate. It somehow registers the biorhythms of my body and converts it into the corresponding frequencies of color. And I've done experiments where either I've meditated on a particular color and live, I can see that come onto the screen Mm -hmm. or I'll put my presence in a particular area of my body and live me watching the viewing screen, I can see that area lighting up more. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to prove to yourself how far your intention goes with shifting your subtle energy field and is connected to your nervous system. Right. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, the well, I I I don't want to say we're putting to bed the Mark story, but we kind of are, and then that's fine. I didn't want to spend the whole time doing that. I really wanted to hear your your backstory and and where you are with things now. And and I love this idea that we were talking about the science of it. Uh, I'm really thrilled about that, and it 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 almost washes away all the rest of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> bring so, them on bring them on like, i'm yeah, so satisfied we can, we can with those that. but i got I, I got a little uh metaphysical and started thinking about um if if you've ever uh experienced uh malevolent ghosts or malevolent spirits okay and and then 
where where do we go with that? So okay. here we go. You're rubbing your hands. You like the yes, idea. I okay. Good real story. Okay. Cool. Have you ever heard of Lilydale, New York? Lilydale. Uh, unless that's where Amityville is. No, I have not. It it should be. <laughs> okay. Okay. Lilydale, huh. it's it's a small little spiritualist community near Dunkirk, New York, near Lake Erie. So it's like a Western New York, not far from Ohio where I'm from, like maybe a two hour drive from hour and a half from Cleveland. So it's a spiritualist, a spiritualist community. It's a place where back in the day they would get together and do seances and things like that. And this community, you can still go there in the summers and they have mediums there that do readings and workshops and things like that and there's a hotel there so one time a girlfriend of mine and i went there just for the weekend to have some fun and it was so haunted that we left the next morning we were not even there for 24 hours like it was too much for me yeah wow okay so I'll just give you some quick little highlights. The first crazy thing that happened, we get there, we go into this old historic hotel, obviously like it was like haunted. So we go in our room and we go in our room and all we look out the window and it's like pouring rain, like pouring, pouring rain. And we're like, oh no, we have to get our suitcases, all of our stuff. We're waiting for it to stop raining. It had not been raining at all when we walked into the hotel And finally, we're like, we got to just make a mad dash for it. Let's just run out there, get our stuff and run back in. We run out there. It's not raining at all. There's no, nothing's wet. The ground's not wet. No cars are wet. It's sunny outside. So you, so you either, I'm just going to guess, did you sense either a past rain or a future rain? Is that where you landed on? I have no idea what happened. We both okay. witnessed this, not just me. And it was right, like right. literally physically pouring rain. We yeah. go outside, it's like everything's dry and it's sunny. So that <laughs> was the weird phenomena thing. Then we go back in. We go back in to our room. We're getting ready to go outside for a walk. All of a sudden, And I was talking to her about the first time I ever saw a spirit in my life, which is when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of this conversation. All of a sudden, all the lights only in our room go out. And I'm like, "Ah!" like I scream and I hide behind my friend. And and she's one of my clients and students. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I felt at that time that there was just this like overwhelm of like, I don't know if I want to say hundreds or or thousands of spirits that kind of were still there from all the seances that had happened in the past there. Hmm. So the next thing, and this is the last thing we're in the last room that they had, and it only had one like queen bed. So we had to share the bed, which we didn't mind. We were friends all night long. It was like I was freezing like she was hogging all the covers. Mm -hmm. And then in the morning, we talked about it. Like I was freezing all night and she ended up telling me she was freezing all night. Like our covers were gone. 
but we wake up in the morning and all the blankets are perfectly on us. Right. Um, anyway, it was just weird and creepy and scary. She went, and that was enough to get you out of there. Yeah. She went to the bathroom <laughs> down the hall and said that she just got really creeped out and scared. And we just like left. And then mm-hmm. we told the guy, cause we were booked for the whole weekend. And he's like, I, I, he asked why we were leaving. And I said, uh, cause our room is haunted. And he's like, what room are you in? And we're like, 21. It was room 21. And he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, he knows that room is haunted. Mm -hmm. So my friend researched it when we got back and found out that there had been a reporter there doing a story on Lilydale and stayed in that room. She woke up in the middle of the night and her room was total. her bed was on the opposite wall. Gotcha. So Mm -hmm. not really like super creepy, scary, evil dark but enough to be like overwhelmingly paranormal right 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 and it you know you you want to be logical and when you examine something like that and you say well why (laughs) why why did it have to go over there um is it is this the only thing that this entity if you want to call it um uh could do and so it just did it um, are they again, are they malevolent and are they thinking I'm going to mess with them, but I'm not going to really be bad about it. And here's this, right. uh, very, very interesting in and, in and I, of itself. Yeah. I don't know. Like when I had the overwhelm of feeling like there was like thousands of spirits around me, I felt like it was a bunch of people, a bunch of spirits that recognized my ability and wanted me to help them cross over was the vibe that I got on that. Mm-hmm. But with the bed thing and the cover thing, like that was just, I mean, it wasn't like, it was just weird. Cause it was right. like physical, like where was our blanket all night? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so very interesting. Well, I, this is a good segue. Um, I believe because I have a phone call, a voicemail from someone who uh, I'll let him describe it, but okay. it, I think it kind of fits into your story. And he has a question about, you know, what to do thereafter. Um, I may or may not get this recording coming out correctly the first time, but we'll see. I got my volume up and there he is. Okay. And there's the mic. Here we go. Hello, Robert and Carrie. Uh, Carrie, a little bit of background. I am an old, old friend of Robert's. We go back some 40 years together, know each other very well. Uh, I gained a little bit of familiarity with your work during a previous episode of That Tracks uh, when Robert interviewed someone whom you had worked with in the Akron, Ohio area, I believe. Um, In any event, I do have a question. Um, I moved my family into an older home some 20 years ago. Uh, After the first six, eight months in the home, I, as well as two of um, our four children, started to see some uh, images and uh, had some experiences uh, with a presence, for lack of a better word. Um, It uh, escalated over about one or two years, always very, very pleasant uh, in nature, but they became more frequent and really more... Uh, vibrant, if you will, more involved, <clears throat> perhaps uh, longer periods of time, um, movement of some objects, things like that. Again, never felt threatened, <clears throat> but at some point, 
my youngest, who was perhaps um, three and a half, four years old at the time, indicated that uh, one of these entities had uh, uh, basically compelled him uh, to leave his bed at night and uh, would not allow um, my youngest to stay in that room overnight. And uh, I got a little bit worried about things. And then within a week after that, there was a pretty intense episode um, as I was coming down the stairs at about 3 a.m. in the morning. And I just yelled um, uh, really reflexively, get the F out of here. <clears throat> there was a pretty traumatic bolt of lightning. It was a rainstorm that was going on and um, clap of thunder. And really after that, no activity uh, for four or five years. <clears throat> About a year after that episode, I actually found myself uh, regretting that I had uh, uh, yelled so aggressively and uh, actually at the kitchen table one night kind of invited uh, whoever or whatever that was back into the home. Um, and since that time, um, very gradually, there's been a little bit of minimal activity. In any event, um, I'm uh, able to flesh out that story a little bit more, or Robert can, but just curious as to your thoughts, um, what came to mind was um, your um, uh, encounter with the woman in blue at the canal at the uh, theater in Akron and the uh, uh, relaying of the story that you had uh, uh, allowed her to pass to the other side. Um, just uh, curious as to whether or not uh, such an episode might have pushed somebody to the other side or whether they may yet be present uh, in the awnings so to or in the, the eaves, so to speak. In any event, uh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy your podcast. Uh, Robert does a great job with interviewing, and we're really looking forward to hear um, your voice firsthand. So thank you very much, and um, enjoy your time with Robert. Awesome. So I'll say this about when it comes to there being different types of, you know, what we might call spirit activity in our home. It's important to remember that we, as the people, the human people who are incarnated physically on this realm, we have domain over our bodies and over our homes. And we have a right to say, I don't want you to be here. Uh, we also have a right to say, if you mean no harm and you want to be here, that's fine with us as long as it's cool. Right. Um, right. Now, there are instances I have. I used to do a lot of paranormal investigations and I don't so much anymore just because the area I live, there's not really a need for it. I think when you live in bigger cities like Sedona is really small, there's only like 10,000 people who live here, but bigger cities, there's more of a need for it. So I have done paranormal act. Uh, um, investigations where there have been stubborn and like what I'll call darker or low vibration spirits. And you just find a way to lovingly trick them. If they, they don't want to go into the light, so to speak, they don't want to transition. Then what I've done in the past is I've said, okay, you don't want to be in the light. This home is the light now, which means you don't want to be in the light. You can't be in this home. So the now when it comes to more serious situations where a person can be being negatively impacted by a dark energy, 
the thing that gives that opening, and this is why spirits will be tricksters sometimes, they feed off of the energy excitement of that, whether it's positive or negative, they feed off right. that. Mm-hmm. Just the like thing. they might have done when they were alive. Right. And so that gives them power. Now, there's different reasons of why a spirit might lag behind. But the reality is we live in a multidimensional universe and there's, there's you know, we can't prove this for sure as far as exactly what's going on on every dimension. But we do know scientifically that there are more than the physical dimension to reality. So there's, you know, a theory is that there's different beings in different dimensions all the time that we cannot physically see just because of the way our eyes are made to see light. Right. But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're not there. It's sort of like normal. If you just act like this normal part of life, you know, uh, one of the first houses that I lived in in Sedona was haunted by the guy that built the house. But he was, I would just see him out of the corner of my eye now and then. And I called him the spirit of the guy that built this house. And I just said that to myself. And it's like, I have my own thing with him. It's fine for you to be here as as long as you're not causing harm. And then many years later, I lived in that house for like eight years. My neighbor across the street, her husband passed. And I went across the street to make sure she was okay. And she told me the story about how the guy that lived there built that house Mm -hmm. so it's Hmm. like you know i was almost jokingly like the spirit of the guy that built this house but i i felt that it was true but i didn't know the history and then my neighbor ended up validating that interesting wow so just because a spirit is around doesn't mean that it's bad like my agreement that i had with the spirit of the guy that built my house was that i I promise I will be a good caretaker of this home that you built. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's all he wanted. He put mm-hmm. all my neighbor told me he used every penny he had to build that house. And then his wife died. Hmm. Gotcha. I think that's gotcha. all he wanted was just somebody to respect the space that he put so much love into. And I told hmm. him I would do that. Right. Right. Uh, I'm reminded of a friend of ours who, again, Pretty, pretty scientific and serious person who is a uh, zoologist and has gone to study with, you know, um, the, uh, the chimpanzees and, and other lands. And, and, and she has told me crazy stories about her trying to feed the tigers, no, feed the lions that they have there when they get loose and get on the wrong pad. And there's just a, a thick door and then them and the lion on the other side. Mm-hmm. Anyway. She has told stories and she has a little shrine, for lack of a better term, to one of the um, original occupants of her home. And she took us down to see it and said this was her name and even found a picture of her. And she goes down. She says, I just go down and I talk to her and I just tell her everything's good and, uh, you know, have a good day. (laughs) And, you know, and of course, this is maybe we'd, we'd known her for, I don't know three months at that point. And of course I'm just like, Oh my God, what is going on? But it was just so, it was just so fun to hear her say that, but I hear you say um, Mm -hmm. what you said. And it's um, I don't know if you've got any uh, German language or German ancestor or things like that, but uh, my grandparents are Swiss. And and when you say things in German, it's all very, 
connected in sort of compound sentences or compound words. So you said the guy who built the house, you know, and that's the way you termed him. There would be essentially a German verb, you know, German word for that, where they would string all those things together. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, but it, I just, I just love that you had said it like that because that's just a natural way that we do those things. And by the way, your little story about thinking, that everybody saw these people and and had these senses and that kind of stuff. I have a funny version of that. And that is the fact that I thought all boys were called Snicklefritz um, <laughs> by, you know, I just thought for sure, this is what everybody's called. And then I come to find out, no, this is just your Swiss grandparents, who, <laughs> you know, and if you translate Snicklefritz, it fits, it's a mischievous little boy. Mm. And so I was called Snicklefritz constantly. Wow. And, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm off track. But um, <laughs> so with with the, the callers then statement about does he does he think it's possible that he moved the person on? Um, and, and I think what you said is that you have the right to be able to tell people you don't want them there uh, until these entities that and he exercised yeah. that right. Any Anything more we can say about that particular scenario he, or like, situation? Yeah. Yeah, whether he moved that spirit onto the light or just banished that spirit from that home, you know, but it definitely impacted it because Mm -hmm. can attest to the fact that the activity stopped after that. Just like Mark said in the podcast that after I helped that spirit move on, Mm -hmm. then they were like, our place isn't haunted anymore. Like she's not there anymore. No, No one's seeing her. So have you ever heard uh, someone apply the catchphrase of the late 90s and early 2000s codependency to a situation like that in the sense that the person there wants, you know, the spirit to be there and, you know, the spirit wants to be there. It sounds like this is kind of what happened to uh, the caller. Yes. Like um, I had a paranormal investigation once with this older lady and um, I could tell that, you know, she lived alone and was kind of lonely. And I was like, look, I'm going to I'm going to do this clearing for you and clear away, you know, invite these spirits that you're sensing to transition into, you know, the light or whatever other realm they want to be in besides here. But if you're attached to them staying, they're going to come right back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you paying me to do this now is going to be a waste of money if there's a part of you that wants them to stay. And I said that on purpose because I felt sure, that. sure. And there's That's... no harm in having like a, a friendly spirit around as long as it's not harming the spirit. Like if the spirit's not like lost in the case of, you know, the civic theater lady, she didn't realize she was dead, which is why I let her know, Hey, you passed on, you can move into the light. Your husband's, you're never going to find your husband here. Right. Right. So good stuff, Carrie, good stuff. Again, more, more questions just flying through my head. Um, I, I think what I'd like to do, if I can, is go to, I got one more caller. Sure, yeah. And I like uh, her question. Okay. And then, and I promise you, we'd be only about a, about an hour, and I know you haven't uh, made your dinner yet. So let's we'll stick tight to this as much as we can. And we can always have a part two someday if you would love. Oh, you know I would. I would love to do it. And, oh, it's in voicemail. What am I doing? Okay. 
Let's go. I thought it was so, while you're looking for that, I'll just say, I thought it was so cool that this whole thing from almost 30 years ago looped back around to to now. And we're like, getting this whole thing. Like, as soon as I got your text, I was like, heck yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Well, I love it. I'm I'm so glad that it works like that. And um, I, I, this isn't the first time I've made like little connections like this with people and, and uh, one of the things that I like to do uh, is toot my own horn. Obviously, you've heard me do that. But <laughs> the second thing uh, I like to do is I like to do some research and I like to try to find out where things began and and how we can get another conversation to go. And th- that's my curiosity uh, that I have and why I try to do this podcast. And I try to explain why the title is the way it is. I think everybody gets it intuitively. Um, you, we know the phrase that tracks. Um, but I've right. never, I, I haven't put it into a nice catchphrase yet. So one of these days I will, but for now, uh, another phone call that tracks. Let's, okay. let's try that. Uh, well, that is, if it'll actually play. Okay. This is Carolyn. Uh, Robert, thanks for letting me ask a question. I was just curious, how do you handle people who I'm not sure how they stand on this and really just are scared to know anything about their future. Okay. Do you run into that a lot? Is that something that you have advice for? Just curious. Okay. Okay. I don't get so many people these days that you know, come to me with a chip on their shoulder wanting me to prove something to them. Right. We kind of covered that in the beginning. Once in a while, you know, that happens. But when that does happen, I explain to people that if you genuinely want a reading, I'm happy to give you one, but you have to be willing to be in an energetically open, receptive state of being. You can't come to me with your arms crossed and your energy closed and go, give me a reading. (laughs) It doesn't work that way because I read energy. It's reading energy. It's not about telling the future, like the future, doing a trajectory into the future based on the now is what I do. But that part can even be somewhat changeable. If you change what you're doing right now, it's going to put you in a different trajectory, Mm -hmm. which is the healing part and value of getting a reading. Right. right? Like I, I use my abilities to help people grow and evolve on their path so if i see something because i'm saying this because she asked about the future people who don't want to know about their future and i'll address a different part of that in a minute but it's not just about that it's about reading getting an enhanced awareness of the energy of now and looking at that in a way that enables you to dial in your plan for what you want to create for yourself so if i do Hmm. see like your energy right now is not aligned with what you're intending in the future it's not going to happen right now because your energy is not aligned but here's how you can align with that Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now the other thing i'll say about people who don't want to know their future do not go to a genuine psychic reader if you don't want to know the truth yeah yeah and i'm sorry i'm chuckling but yeah don't go because true psychic readers who care about using their skills their abilities 
to help people are going to tell the truth. Even in my psychic development classes, one of the three essential keys to developing intuitively is being willing to know the truth because that is what our intuition shows us. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to see the truth of you or your life or other people, you're going to unconsciously shut that down. I, and just interrupt you for a second. Um, I, I, you know, uh, we, I think her name was Madam Zelda or something like that, who right. was at a bar downtown and I was hanging out with an old buddy of mine from college and we were having fun. We definitely were drinking a few and, um, and right after in this bar, their specialty was these things called half yards and yards. So you would have literally a three foot long glass to drink out of. And you would invariably, everybody would spill that on themselves. Ha ha. They right. have to laugh. Like and, you, you know, yeah. so here I, I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And you, you develop these techniques and they have like little wands you can put on it to be able to drink it. It's just ridiculous. So here I am after spilling some on me, feeling, feeling stupid. And then Madam Zelda approaches me and asks me if I want to have a free reading. You know, she's just drumming up business. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Let's do it. So she does, uh, she immediately taps into the way I feel and I don't want to (laughs) know that's what she tapped into. And I immediately lied to her and I could see the look on her face as I lied. You know, she's like, well, you're really having some trouble making decisions on a couple of things in life, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Zelda, go away. You're too (laughs) true for me. Right. So I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I was not open to any of it um, Mm -hmm. at at that particular time. And plus, I still had, you know, the smell and the feel of beer all over my face. So I wasn't really receptive. (laughs) And let me say one more thing, because I think this woman who asked the question, Um, when she said about people who don't want to know their future, I just want to address this. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the future is not always a hundred percent fixed, rigid, set in stone. Mm -hmm. Good. Good We have have free will. Right. And although I believe that we all have, you know, some type of meaningful reason to be here that we might call a meaning or a purpose, or even a, a feeling of fate or destiny, we have free will. So the way we get there or not is partially up to us. Right. Sure. And what people like me do is use my abilities to see into that and help coach you in that direction. It's it's not like you're doomed to this future or this is your only possibility. It's like, this is the timeline you're, you're aligned. This is the version of reality you're aligned with right now but you have the ability to modify it. So the value of getting a reading is knowing what your options are and being able to co-create with life more conscientiously. (laughs) Never even thought it would go that way. Um, You know, just you have this perception of what you think um, people in your profession would do. And you, you would think that it would be more like, well, this is your fate. And, you know, I'm a kind of person who just doesn't really believe in fate. I've changed my mind so many times in directions of things I've done. Uh, I don't know how it could possibly be fated. 
uh, for, for it to go a certain way, but yeah, I I'm with you. Like mm-hmm. we do not live in a fixed static life or reality. That's we very refreshing constant, to hear that. Yeah. Constantly dynamic evolving and every choice we make, every step of the way is always calibrating to new possibilities. And that's what psychics really look into. Hmm. Very interesting. Good, good. I love we, it. we will definitely have a part two. Uh, okay, cool. That's for sure. That's for sure. Because after I, I'll, Mark, I'll, I said hi. If you talk, oh, I will. To him. Yeah. Yes, and he he did um, uh, say for me to tell you hello. Aww. And uh, he, if if you weren't aware, he has written a book on Edgar Allan Poe, and he is shopping that baby around everywhere. Everybody cool. wants to see him, have him talk about his book. Um, I've read about about half of it. I guess it's just it's fantastic, uh, and and it, and you can. When you read what Mark writes, um, I have no trouble picturing and hearing his voice in my head uh, when he's writing. You know, so he has that strong writer's voice, uh, and so so enjoyable. So yes, I will definitely pass all that on to him. And um, yeah, this has really been great, and I, I feel a little off that that I wanted to do this so much around Halloween. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to oversell. It's a spooky episode, you know, oh, we're talking about spooky things. It's still good for Halloween though. Cause it's, it's I uh, believe, esoteric, yes. paranormal. Good, good. No. That's, that's, that's the way I'm going to approach it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Okay. Well, I think unless, um, tell, tell folks where, you know, I'll put this in notes, but okay. tell folks where they can reach you if they want to reach you at this point and you okay. want to be reached. Yeah, so my website is holisticpsychic.com, and that's with an H, not W-H, holisticpsychic.com. I do offer sessions through video chat globally, so you don't necessarily have to be in or near Sedona to have a session with me. I'm also on, you know, all the all the things, Instagram, Facebook, just look <laughs> up my name, Carrie Kanya, and you'll find me. Right, mm-hmm. right, very good. Okay, super. Um, gosh darn it. The one thing I did want to ask is because of it being Arizona. Hold on a sec. Yeah. I, just last year, right before I talked to Mark, I'd seen a special because it was about Native American uh, history and, and traditions and all these types of things. And they had talked so much about their uh, pyramids that they had built mm. and how they had followed very rigid mathematical equations um so much so that it's easy to look at them and get those measurements in reverse so to speak reverse engineer them oh. and uh so i i had either i did it with mark while i was talking to him or I did it offline i can't remember but i'd said to myself like well there's probably some really good you know native american energy that's there and if that's where you know she's relocated to i wonder if she's ever had interaction with uh, that type of culture and, you know, or how that goes. Um, have you had any people that you've met with that or worked with that, that are in, uh, you know, uh, the native American culture? Yeah. Like, uh, so I live in Sedona, but all in the surrounding areas are, um, big native American populations, different tribes still, Um, there's, you know, uh, Indian reservations on the outskirts of Flagstaff. Right. In fact, there's, you know, for some of the tribes who live around here, 
their creation story starts in Sedona. So they will not actually live in Sedona proper, but on the outskirts because it's sacred land to them. Um, where I live in Sedona still to this day, you can, there's a lot of cliff dwelling Indian ruins. Some of them are marked tourist places that you can go to, but you can hike and like find unmarked ones, which is like a Mm. fun hobby to do. Right. Right. Um, I've never had a paranormal experience with a native person, but I, did have a friend once when I used to work at this metaphysical bookstore who's Navajo and he when I was going through a changing time in my life he did like a ceremony a changing woman ceremony with me which was Mm -hmm. pretty cool and a, a true story about him is he grew up in Flagstaff and this just tells you about the stamina of that tradition he loves running he used to run when he was like a teenager or maybe young 20s he would run all the way to Phoenix, which is like two and a half hour drive from mm-hmm. Flagstaff. Sure. sure. He would run it. Right. Like it would take him a couple of days, but he would do it. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. be like living in the wilderness in between, like no problem. Like everything's. Yeah, he, he was an ultra runner before it was really a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because people do these in a in hundred miles hasn't been enough anymore for people. Like now they want to go 150 miles and. And there is actually um, a group of, gosh, I think they're in South America, but they're called the Tamaharan um, Indians. And they have a very specific diet that they eat that's super high fat. Mm. And, but they have incredible distances that they run um, and, and very fast distances that they run. So it's, it's, I think it's part of that culture too, to do things like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, I am going to let you go. I promise. All right. Two more things. And you don't have to comment. I'll just say them. One is there was a movie that Bill Pullman did that was actually based on a real story. And it was called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And it was a researcher from Harvard, an actual person. can't remember the names at this point. Who traveled to Haiti, I think, and was researching their zombie zombification ceremonies that they do and wanted to extract um, some knowledge about the, the drugs that were being used, the, the natural uh, things. And they brought that back and researched them. And I believe they actually developed some uh, painkillers or something like that from that. I have spoken to um, a professor slash doctor of, I believe it's, it's psychology, but there's another aspect to it. i never can remember who did the same thing, but did it with the, um, uh, I believe it was the old, the Lakota Sioux and, and was trained to speak the language by a very famous person who's done many uh, native American paintings that are known all throughout the world. And we have a museum here called the speed museum and they have featured them. So anyway, he prepared for years and years and years to go to this tribe ended up becoming very close to a lot of the chiefs and is in a bunch of ceremonies and this type of thing. But he studied their medicine. And from what I've read, because they have a, a a nice big size box of all of his findings and our research library at the university of Louisville, um, everything was tied to a ceremony um, that you were not going to have really any kind of effect from the medicine that you took unless it was done in the ceremony. 
mm-hmm. that they did, which now, again, meeting you, hearing from Mark, uh, and, and initially I just didn't think that really was that big a deal, but but now it's kind of like, well, it, it makes sense. That's what they would do. That's what they would believe. And and if they've been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years, they probably have some good effects from it all. The the catch-22 on all this was it was so private to the tribe that a lot of the information did not get out. Yeah. And and he has since given a lot of his um, uh, initial photographs and other things that he took and the information that he got back to the tribe. Uh, because he was, he was given permission to take them, but in time he's decided this is all theirs and I'm bringing it back. So they're very protective, um, Mm -hmm. of all that information, which again, me, the scientist wants to hear and see and, and figure out how it all works. But, uh, I don't think I'd ever really be satisfied with it if it's, it's going to come from a ceremony, uh, in a scientific way, uh, spiritual way that now, now you're looking at a whole nother ballgame. So those are just a couple of things I wanted to tell you. And that's why, like, I felt, I felt like so honored to, for my friend to do that ceremony with me because Mm -hmm. they don't share it freely. And it was like very specific. Here's this cornmeal. Here's this thing. Here's the song we have to sing right now in order for this to work. And I just honored it and went with it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll do a plug. Uh, not for anything that I'm doing, but I'll do a plug for, uh, I should remember the name of the author who initially wrote them, but the TV show that Robert Redford and, uh, George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame put together and it's called Dark Winds. I don't know if you've heard or seen this, but it's, it's based on many, many books, uh, by a particular author, um, and, uh, in a particular, uh, um, reservation chief, uh, reservation sheriff, I should say. And, and they're in, in the, the native American sort of mysterious, uh, practices are woven into it. Uh, but not necessarily the, you know, the, the focal point of the show. So I think there's a good balance, uh, mm-hmm. between the two. And, uh, but anyway, dark winds, I would plug that for anybody to watch that. It's definitely some of the controversial things that have happened in the second season, it's worth looking at and then all of a sudden having a good conversation with somebody Did they make the right choice uh, doing what they did. And um, so anyway, thank cool. you so I'll much, Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. You really you. should. It, it's, it's a, it's a good show. I mean, I'll write it uh, down. Backwinds. Yeah. Robert. And the name of the character is uh, Joe Leaphorn. Okay. Uh, Leaphorn. He's the main uh, person. And then he's got another, um, uh, policeman who he works with and it's good it's got it's got some humor it's got some seriousness in it and uh it's a good show i really like it um one of these days i'll reveal to you my native american connection or 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 i want you to read it in me okay (laughs) we can do it (laughs) Uh, i'll say i at least have confirmed through dental uh, records and speaking to somebody at uh, maybe the University of Arizona. I can't remember. It's been 20 years since I did this. That my dentist asked me if I was Native American. I'm like, uh, yeah, we've got one story, but it's way out there. Mm. Um, people have actually written books about how out there our family story is. Wow. And and but yeah, they say he said, well, you definitely have at least three different forms on your teeth that are Native American. 
I'm like, okay. So yeah, I confirmed this with those guys. So one of those days we'll do that. 